0: A very famous narrative this morning, Acts chapter nine. The conversion of Saul the Pharisee, who God will turn into Paul the Apostle, perhaps the greatest Christian missionary evangelist who ever lived. Now, Heavenly Father, we do pray as you opened um, Saul's eyes and that you open all of our eyes of our understanding that we might see the wonderful things you have for us today. You're a living God, and you have a living message. In these God-breathed scriptures for each and every one of us, you order our footsteps, you know who's here and who's not, and you've arranged things for those who are here to hear and be blessed to receive. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. There are some people you just never expect in a million years to become Christians, and when they do profess faith in Jesus Christ, it's almost unbelievable. It's hard to believe. We stagger in disbelief. Uh, now, I have a picture of Camille Salim, and he is the author of the book, so that would be the book slide. Now, this man is an ex-PLO, member with strong ties uh, to all sorts of famous militants in the Middle East Uh, he was recruited and trained from the age of 10 to wear explosives on his body to hate infidels to hate Jews to hate Christians and uh, one day uh, he heard a voice and the voice said you are my warrior you are not their warrior and he said back to the Lord, my Lord, my Lord, I will live and die for you. He connected that voice to Jesus. And then the Lord spoke back to his heart and said, "Uh, you don't need to die for me. I died for you. And he was converted and he's written a book about it, uh, The Blood of the Lambs. Then the the second guy you may have heard, I've talked about Mossab Hassan, uh, who is the son of Hamas leader and founder. Now, he, is, he gives interviews all the time. You'll see a picture of his interview here on Fox News. Um, he's called Son of Hamas, his book. Uh, he got disillusioned in prison with all the evil and hate around and uh, he got invited in Jerusalem by a Christian tourist who was visiting Israel and was having a Bible study one evening and just uh, walked up to him, invited him, spirit-led. And he said he read the words, love your enemies, and it unlocked his heart. He said, i would never heard that in my whole life, somebody saying to love your enemies. And uh, Sean Hannity asked him, "Uh, are you in danger now? And he went, yeah. yeah, I'm in danger. But he said, you know what? This beautiful accent. He said, I've, I've always been in danger. I was in danger before uh, for the wrong cause. Now I'm in danger for the right cause. He, say, he says, I'm okay with that. that was, those are his words. I'm okay with that. Then third, I want to show you uh, somebody, Dr. Rosario Butterfield, an incredible testimony. Just Google my train wreck conversion. You will read a most incredible story about a leftist lesbian professor uh, who becomes a Christian. She writes the first words there in Christianity today, as a leftist lesbian professor, I despised Christians. Then somehow I became one. (laughs) Oh, we all identify with that last phrase. Then somehow I became one, (laughs) and uh, some more than others. She ridiculed students. She was angry, proud, unyielding. She published militant activist articles about all kinds of things. And a Christian challenger said, listen, I just want to know why, why do you believe what you believe? Give me the basis. Don't just rant and rave, but check out the Bible, maybe. And so she started reading the Bible, and she said, I couldn't put the book down, and it just convinced me. The words alone convinced me. And one Sunday morning, she woke up, left her partner on a Sunday morning, went to church, and that was it for her. She got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and married a pastor. And as... (laughs) and is raising children who call her mom. It's amazing. Now, this morning, we are going to meet another unlikely candidate to become the world's most productive missionary evangelist in the world, someone who killed Christians like us. is gonna turn around and use his life to honor the Lord. Acts chapter nine, verse one. to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? That was a good line in there, Lord. (laughs) Uh, He knows more than he's letting on to there with that word. Uh, Saul asked, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied, now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Now, let's pause there. We're gonna get through his whole story, Lord willing, uh, but I do see three phases of it, and if you're taking notes, I kind of see it as Paul's conversion as uh, death, burial, and resurrection. I see those kinds of things happening here, and if you'd like, we can corral our thoughts around this. He's stopped dead in his tracks now, uh, so point number one, death, something that happens to everybody before they come to know the Lord. You must die. You must die. The old person must die. In fact, in baptism, that's what we're saying to the whole world. We stand up in the water and saying, you know what, folks? The old person that you may have known died, buried. This is a new person. I know I sound the same and I have the same body and uh, I may have the same struggles, but there's some, a new person in here. There's a new birth, and so we see him stopped dead in his tracks. The most wonderful Holy Ghost Smackdown in the entire Bible. Nothing says that the Lord Jesus has risen from the dead and lives better than when former enemies give him their allegiance. Think about the genius and grace of God here. Just think about it. Here's a picture of the, the different commentaries on the different New Testament epistles that are attributed to the Apostle Paul, this former executor of Christians. He said in his testimony in Acts chapter 26, I persecuted Christians to their death. I forced them to blaspheme. I threatened their lives, renounced Jesus and live. I forced them, I tortured them, I killed them. God picks him as his chosen vessel to write 13 of the New Testament books. 14 if you include Hebrews like I would include. Hebrews is kind of debated, but it sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul to me. And so here's a map just saying where this former Christian killer took the gospel. Almost single-handedly, he did lead teams But he planted churches all from Acts chapter 13 and 14, missionary journey number one, Acts 15 and 16, missionary journey number two, and uh, also uh, Acts, I think it's 18 and 19, where it's missionary journey number three. The then known world, that whole area there is modern day Turkey to the right where it says Asia, but the gospel got planted everywhere by who? by hands that used to drag women, moms, Christian moms, out of their houses. It says women. He used to drag women to their death, screaming, mamas. These are the hands. The feet that carried them there are the feet that's gonna travel the world, not hunting down Christians, but fanning the flame of Christianity. No wonder Paul says in one of his testimonies, I am a trophy of God's grace. If I am the worst of sinners, that's why God said, you know, I'm gonna take the bottom feeder. I'm gonna go all the way to the bottom. The, the, the one who was on fire to do me the most harm and my people the most damage, I'm gonna pick him. Well, something was happening in Paul's own heart with faith that also brought God to a place where he would cause that faith to be um, culminated in a conversion experience. And so thank you for that slide. And we can get the lights. Thank you. Now, his obsession, his murderous threats, in the King James, it says, out of his mouth came slaughters, because the word means to slaughter. But what I like in the Greek that you don't see because it doesn't make sense in the English is that he wasn't breathing it out. He was breathing it in. He lived in an environment of hate and anger. That's how he breathed. In and out, kill the Christians, stop Christianity, hate them, persecute them, imprison them, oppress them. He was obsessed. Uh, chapter 7 and verse 58 he organized the death of Stephen, guarding the cloaks of those who were killing our Christian deacon. He said, Put the coats here, two thumbs up for me, kill them. And it said he took delight. The word in the Greek, it wasn't just he said, hey, he deserves to die. He enjoyed it. It was feeding and nurturing him. He was evil. He's an evil terrorist all the way. Uh, chapter 8 and verse 3 But Saul began to destroy the church, going house to house. He dragged off both men and women, dragging off women and putting them in prison. Well, He's, he's smart enough to know that there can be no peaceful coexistence with this new Christianity and Judaism. So he, he understands, oh, we gotta kill this thing because they can't peacefully coexist. Now, what's interesting to me is that he's, uh, he's, he's out for blood, but what's interesting is what he calls Christians. He was after those who were associated with the way. So the earliest name for Christians that we got either labeled or we self-labeled was the way, showing it wasn't about rituals or traditions or dogma necessarily. It was a way of being, of a way of thinking, a way of salvation, a way to get to heaven, a lifestyle, if you will. And so the word for destroy there, this guy was a beast, the word to destroy there is to, as we've talked about, is to tear the, the, the victim to shreds. It's used of animals. And, and so like a wild boar. This is the kind of guy he was. And he, he, he talks about his testimony. Uh, there are three chapters where you can read about his testimony. Chapter 9 here, chapter 22 before Festus, governor, and then before King Agrippa in chapter 26. And so if you compile all three, you get a nice little uh, juicy uh, testimony. He said, hey, to the Jews, he said, before they were trying to kill him for preaching, he said, I was just like you, zealous for God. I too was convinced I ought to do everything possible to oppose the name of Jesus. I had authority from the chief priests to arrest them and throw them into prison. He's now pleading as a Christian. You know, just remember who I used to be. I spent plenty of time running from synagogue to another, hunting them down, and then forcing them to blaspheme and renounce their faith in Jesus. I was so obsessed with hostility toward them that I even traveled to foreign cities to persecute them. And listen to this from chapter. 22, which gives you insight why he's going to Damascus. I even got a hold of some of their letters to their brothers in Damascus. So I went to Damascus to arrest those Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem to punish them. I never saw that, I never saw that. So he's persecuting the the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. He goes through their stuff and he finds letters, Uh huh? to those who escaped and fled. They fled 130 miles northeast there to Damascus. And he says, i got names and addresses. And he goes, let me go. They think they got away from me. Oh, no, they didn't. I'm going to go 130 miles, six-day journey. I'm going to go get them. I've got their names and addresses. Thank you very much. It locks them away. I'm going to go kill your friends. Bring them back here and punish them. Who's praying up a storm? Those guys locked behind the bars thinking, Dear God, they got you know, my friend's game from my own purse or my backpack or whatever they got it from. And now this beast, this animal's on his way to get my friends or my aunt or my cousin who got away. And that's why part of their prayers that he doesn't make it all the way. Paul is singing a classic song that we all know as he goes off to Damascus. Ain't no mountain high enough to keep me, to keep me from you. And uh, so, but the Lord has another thing. You know, Paul the Apostle never forgot who he was, and I think that's part of what's driving him to be, to do. Listen, I'm bent on, this is what I hear him saying, I am bent on doing more good with my life in Christ than damage that I did as an unbeliever that's what he's all about he's saying yeah I did a lot of damage but wait till you see what I can do to undo that I will not go down in history as that man you will not even remember that when I think of Paul I don't remember that part I don't I think Apostle Paul I think wow he said in my mind he's saying that's what I wanted that's what Jesus wanted out with the old forgetting the things that lie behind this is who I really was This is who I could really be. This is who God made me to be. Not that beast, but that beast be buried forever and ever. So lightning strikes suddenly at noon. We find from Acts 22 and Acts 26, we don't have it here, you know, uh, brighter than the noonday sun. And if you've been to Israel at noontime, it's a little bit closer to the equator. It's very bright and very hot. Brighter than that and hotter than that. Bam, light from heaven flashes all around, and uh, he's uh, face down where he belongs. Now, some people saw this coming. Some commentators said, the reason that we've been hearing about this obsessed crazy man is to show that the Lord is getting through to him. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Is it that the, uh, you know, it reminds me of a line from Hamlet. Uh, The line goes, "Methinks thou dost protest too much. And, and let me put that into regular English. The bigger the reaction, the louder your voice, the more words you use, the more likely you're guilty of whatever it is we're talking about. <laughs> Amen? Oh, okay. <laughs> you're like, yeah, all right. <laughs> it means you're emotionally invested. I remember when I was 18, 19 years old, I went to the doctor for something. The doctor was a Christian in Santa Cruz. He asked me, first question, oh, I'd like to get to know you a little bit. Number one, what role would you say Christ plays in your life? And I went, Christ? I went, like, Jesus? And he says, yeah, Jesus. I go, a role? He plays a role? I said, I don't know. Well, he said, let me help you. Was he a good man? Is he this? I said, yeah, a good man. Like that. (sniffs) Whatever. I was so far away. I had no clue. Now, I know somebody right now, that if I were to say, hey, what do you think about Jesus? There would be a nuclear explosion. (laughs) Why? That person is this close. I was this far away. So, you know, when God's got his finger to the source of the problem, he's prodding around, just like a doctor in the ER, does it hurt here? No. Does it hurt here? What role does Christ play? I don't know, doesn't hurt there. And then if you get the right guy at the right time, right when he's thinking and processing and close. Does it hurt here? It hurts there and you you might get knocked over in the process. Saul has correctly figured out that if Jesus, listen, if Jesus is alive, everything he's lived for Everything, his pride, his career, his reputation, the way he thinks, the way he lives, the places he goes, his ability to self-determine, his life, must die. He gets it. If he's alive and well, I'm a dead man. As far as Saul goes, I won't be a Pharisee anymore. I won't really have my job. I'll have a different relationship with my wife. Financially, things will change. Everything will go. So he's not going to go down without a fight. And my friend, almost everybody you know is the same thing. It's not about you. It's not about you. You take it like, oh man, you know, there's such rejection. Every time I share, it's like, it's, it has nothing to do with you. It's a fight against the truth of God and the consequences, surrendering and faith will make in that person's heart, and so a big explosion. And it seems to me that saving faith has already happened somewhere in between chapters six and nine. God just doesn't go, hey, unbeliever, you, you're mine. Done. Ah, something's gone on inside his heart. Half, Half conscious, for sure. He doesn't see it. He's starting to believe. Stephen's gotten to him, the death. He's convicted. These are the outbursts of a convicted, guilty, processing human being who knows the truth. That's why in Acts 22 and 26, the Lord says to him in his testimony, isn't it hard for you to kick against the goads? In other words, isn't it hard to fight against the truth you already know in your heart? Why? Why do you keep struggling against that which you already know to be? true so somewhere along the line that some kind of faith happened in his heart you know obviously he didn't know the surrender piece right so the lord said hey i see a little bit of faith perhaps he prayed hey some, sometime i prayed this prayer if you're real jesus oh i don't want to go to hell so so let me know let me know show me and then i went back to my total immoral unbelieving lifestyle did that happen and the lord say okay since you asked boom you know, that's what happens there. And uh, his, Jesus' first words are so telling when he says, uh, Saul, why? I don't hear mean-spirited, Saul, Saul. I hear Saul, Saul, why did you persecute me? Two things there. One, the why, if you emphasize the why. Why, I'm the Lord, I'm the Messiah, it's the truth. Yeah, your life will have to change, but look at your life, hello? It use a little changing, right? Why would you fight God? I've got your back, I've got your front, I've got your middle, I've got your top, your bottom. I, I, I mean, I, <laughs> <laughs> whoa, I didn't mean it like that, but you know what I mean. <laughs> why, why? Come on, people, listen, everybody in this room, would you please listen to me? Why would you resist your Maker who loves you? He made you, He created you, He knit you together in your mother's womb. He's a good God. He knows what he's doing. He's trustworthy. He laid down his life for you and shed blood for you. And you need to resist this? I think there are other people and voices that you should be resisting, not the one who created you and loves you. Amen? That's the question. The question to solve is, why? Does this make sense? And then, why are you persecuting me? And he he says, who are you, Lord? I mean, seriously, I'm persecuting a bunch of crazy Christians. I'm not persecuting anybody in this direction. And the Lord says, ah, persecuting them. They're my people, they're my voice, my my presence, my spirit is in them. You're doing this to me. The problem you have isn't with the Christians or the church or the hypocrites in the church. The problem ultimately, and this is always the case, the opposition, the problem is with God and that person. I'm done taking things personally. I'm done. First of all, I mean, I have to be done with that because every day I get a lot of flag uh, because I'm always sharing the faith. Not about me. It's about their problem with the Lord. So interesting, isn't it, that he says, finally, we'll move on. Now get up and you'll be told what you must do. Really? I can hear him thinking, wow, that's a change. I I tell people what to do. I'm in charge. I go here. If I want to go here, I go there. If I wanna go home now, I go home now. I do what I wanna do. I say what I wanna say. He says, oh no, 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 no. From now on, you'll be receiving instruction. You'll be listening to orders, not barking them out because you'll be mine. You have been surrendered to me and my will. The whole point of being a Christian is, true conversion is about yielding your will. Listen, let me just tell it to you honestly. Anybody who does their own thing isn't properly converted. Now, whether they're saved or no, that's God's business. But let me just say to you, you or me or Uncle Steve or Auntie Marge, I don't care who it is. If the person does their own thing as a way of life, I just do my own thing. I hope God blesses it. I throw in church on the side. I say my prayers here and there. I even give a little bit in the box. But basically, I do my own thing. You're not properly converted. Something's wrong. It could be you're not even saved. That's how serious it is. Or you could just be one of those immature believers, there's a lot of them, and be saved. But the point is, you ask yourself, am I running my own life here and pretending that God is leading me in everything? Or does God call my shots for me? Verses seven through 18. Okay, so the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, uh, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. He saw nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. Mm. For three days, he was blind. He didn't eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision Ananias! Yes, Lord! I love the King James. I am here. Here I am, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. Now, in a vision, he's already seen a man named Ananias, that would be you, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, <clears throat> I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And Just FYI, he's come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said, Ananias, just go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before Gentiles, kings, and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it Burial, let's say, you know. Saul is now immersed in darkness to do some pretty profound soul searching. Uh, now into Damascus he goes. That's where he was headed, right? Kind of with his uh, royal uh, counterparts, perhaps, some Roman escorts to help carry off the crazy Christians that he finds and drag them, incarcerate them back into Uh, Jerusalem. So, uh, you know, first of all, Paul, Saul, I call him either because he gets a name change around Acts 13. We start calling him Paul, the Roman version of Saul, the Hebrew. Um, I want to say, first of all, it didn't have to be uh, like a lightning bolt, buddy, but you, you made me do it, didn't you? You made me do that to you. You know, I, I had to singe your, your tail feathers, you know, because you wouldn't come. And I would rather risk singeing your tail feathers than losing your soul. And so why? How many of you, you, you came in on a, on a thunderbolt to the kingdom? Anybody? Me, Jim, me and Jim, and a few others. <laughs> Yeah, he does that with ministry people. I don't know why. It does say something very sad about us (laughs) and that we need that kind of help. But yeah, and the rest of you are like a gradual sunrise. Raise your hand. Oh, brother. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, That's awesome. That's good. I just learned something here. I'm processing. (laughs) All right. So let's talk about the companions because I think it's interesting. Two interesting words to describe how they saw was used in this text. Now the companions, what's up with them? Because I think, you know, here they are with it, the Christian killer of the century, and he's going to get blinded, and now they're leading him by hand, and he's babbling about Jesus, and, and I want to hear that they got saved, right? How are they going to explain this? How are they going to explain it when they get back? You know, uh, where's Paul? Where's Saul and all the crazy Christians? Oh, boss, I got a long story. Sit down. I'll tell you the whole thing. There was just some sort of nervous breakdown. He had epilepsy. I don't know what his problem is, right? Because that's what they're going to say. Here, the men traveling here, the companions are speechless. They're dumbfounded. They don't see anyone. The Greek word to see for the companions is different when Paul sees. Same verse. Now, when the companions are looking, they're spectators. The word in the Greek, theoreo, which we get the uh, word theater from. They're just watching and spectating, right? And they stood there staring. They see nothing. And then Paul sees the Lord, then shuts his eyes, as many people do. But that doesn't stop because when it says, and he sees no one, the word blepo there means to actually see, the ability to see. So it's a really interesting in the Greek to say, really what, what it's saying is, the companions gaze and see nothing. Paul is blinded and sees everything. That's very interesting. Jesus said in Matthew 13, he said, man, he looked at the disciples who were getting it finally, and he said, man, blessed are your eyes because they can hear And blessed are your ears, because they really hear. He said, I tell you the truth, a lot of people have heard the truth throughout the ages, but only a few really hear and see what you're seeing. I mean, and we feel that all the time. When I talk to people, it's like, look at the universe. Look at how everything is so intelligently designed. Look at this, look at that, and nothing. We're so blessed that we're able to see, and so now uh, now he ends up in Damascus. He's led by the hand like a little baby. You know, here, come on, come on, boy. You know, he, he was gonna come into Damascus, where are they? Just at the time he's salivating, he can see the hills. He thinks he even sees one with an open Bible or something. He's like, let me, boom, yeah. Now he's gonna come in, come on, oh, watch, watch your step. Watch your step, blind man, you know humbled, broken, unbelievable. And and how do they find a place for him? What do they do? So I picture they they bring him to uh, an innkeeper and say, well, what's going on? Well, we need a room. We're going to be leaving. We're going back to Jerusalem. We're going to be leaving this guy here. What's his problem? He's blind. He had some kind of seizure or something. He keeps babbling on about Jesus. Oh, you know what? There's an inn down the street, Judas. His name's Judas. He's a Christian. Put him over there. Somehow he gets to a Christian's house named Judas and and they leave to go back to their uh, wretched life. And he's got three days of darkness. Three days of darkness, he's blind. That's God's prescription for him. The no food and no water, that's Paul's choice. You know what? (laughs) He's not in the mood to eat right now. They're offering him, eat something, eat something. They're Jews, you know. Eat something, <laughs> eat something. And he's like, no, go away. Go away, I cannot see. I've been persecuting God of the universe, the Messiah of my own people. I've been killing his people. Could you please go away and leave me alone? Not in the mood for a little snack. So for three days, he sits there in a nauseating remorse. How did I miss this? The Passover. The blood of the lamb. Am I an idiot? Yom Kippur, the day, the scapegoat. First fruits, the resurrection. Isaiah 53, I can say it by heart. Pharisees knew their Bibles. Backwards, sideways, upside down. He could quote Isaiah, the suffering servant. Of course, wonderful counselor, almighty God, the virgin shall conceive the immaculate conception. Where was I? What was I doing? How can I let this happen? And duh, they were his children. They were born-again Christians, and I led them, and he hears them screaming, no, no. And the little kids, mom, mom. Well, that was a dark three-day period, friends. He's connecting the dots, and the Lord tells Ananias, go talk to this guy, because he's praying. Yeah, you know what, friends? Let me tell you as a Jew, there's a prayer for Everything. There are prayers for birthdays. There's prayers for sunrises. There's prayers for sunset. There's prayers for traveling. There are prayers for everything. They're always saying prayers. There are prayer books and prayer books and prayer books. And you always said your prayers. He always was praying. But the Lord says, now, now he's praying. He's connecting here. Lord, what have I done? What did I do with this life? How could I do those kinds of things? I was an animal. Give me. The Lord said, he's praying. This is good. Waiting in the wings is this ordinary nobody you'd never know in a million years. Not a pastor, not an evangelist. He's just a guy who likes to say, can I do something for you, God? And so the Lord knows, I need a guy right now who would do something extraordinary with no questions asked. Well, he's going to ask a few questions, but I need a guy who just likes to say, here I am, use me. So he says, Ananias. And he says, wow, yeah. Here I am, and the Lord says, "Hey, I got something for you to do. Here's how it goes in my mind." Uh, and Ananias, speak, Lord, yes. Hey, I got an errand for you. Speak. Go downtown to Straight Street and find Judas' house. Knock at the door. Ask for Paul. He's from Tarsus, by the way. He's expecting you. He's praying. I've I've let him see this whole picture unfold in his mind already. He already knows your name. He already knows you're coming. He already knows why you're coming. He's imagining you right now, laying your hands on him and restoring his sight. And Ananias clears his throat. <clears throat> well, Lord, um, do you know who this guy is? Uh, by the way, when you say "but, Lord," that's a bad way to start a prayer. You know, but however. And then, Lord, they just, I don't know, there's something about that combination. And then he says, Lord, let me fill you in on what I know about him, all right? Number one, you may want to rethink this. He's very angry, mean, crazy, and he hates us and our cause. Uh, By the way, he's been sent here, FYI, uh, by the Supreme Court to arrest people like me. Let me repeat the last part. To arrest people like me who call on your name, like I'm doing right now. <laughs> yeah, he, he's here to kill me. Lord. Hmm. God is so patient. Um, sometimes things are hard to see. You know, in Isaiah 43 it says, um, see I'm doing a new thing, do you get it? Do you get it? I'm making an, a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. You know, I see he's doing a new thing, but sometimes it's hard when you're in the middle of it. Um, God chooses three tarnished names to say, I'm bringing the gospel. I'm the God who could redeem anything. I can redeem bad, tarnished names like Judas. What's a Judas name in this for? We all have to go, oh, Judas. Oh. The Lord's like, oh, no, I can make Judas name sing. I can take a bad memory and make it good. I can make a, a bad thing into a good thing, a bad man into a good man. So Judas, the betrayer, what? Ananias, oh, we all had to go, Ananias, is that? Oh, no, he's dead. (laughs) Yeah, Ananias was struck dead because he's sneaky little hypocrisy gonna corrupt the church and take the church down. So the Lord says, you know what? I got an Ananias who instead of taking the church down is gonna take the church up. And how about Saul? Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin named after the king who was known for relentless disobedience doing his own deal, and uh, suffering as a result. So he, the names are, are the same, and the Lord who redeems is doing his work. He's saying, Ananias, come on, don't miss out. You know, don't get stumbled up by, by all of this. You know. So suddenly God just interrupts him, Ananias, just go, uh, he's mine now, it's safe. He's gonna be a famous preacher to the Jews, the Gentiles, and even preach before kings for me, and by the way, He's got his fair share of suffering coming his way. That's for sure. Paul speaking to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 30 years later. I've been in prison a lot. I've been flogged severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. One time can kill you. He got five times what our Lord Jesus endured. Three times I was beaten by rods, with rods. It was a Roman torture. They took bamboo and just laid you out and beat you from head to toe. Not once, not twice, but on top of the five times of the flogging and the scarring and the nerve damage to be beat with rods three times. Then he says, and I can go on, hungry, naked, no clothes, shamed. In danger with rivers, in danger with robbers, in danger from Jews, in danger from Gentiles. A night and a half on the open seas floating. For me, I'm floating in the ocean, I see a fin, I'm going to have a coronary. That'll be the end of the story right there. I don't float in the ocean around and survive, all right? I don't care if I survive or not, if I'm holding on to something. All I need to do is think I see a fin. It's over. I'd rather just... Myself than to to see a shark coming my way. Amen, Am I, do I have any shark sympathizers out there with me? I'm gonna show him how he's gonna have to suffer. I, I, for one, if I had done what Paul had done to God's people, I don't know, I think it would have encouraged me to have entered into that kind of suffering. I, I would have felt, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I can't really put it into words, but... I mean, nobody wants to suffer, not even the Apostle Paul, you know, but there was something right about it. Oh, I got to finish up. You want to hear what happens? I got, I got time to read the paragraph and we'll make a couple comments. So Saul spends several days with the disciples now in Damascus. At once, he begins to preach in the synagogues, the Jews, right? The Jews are in there, not Christians, that Jesus is the Son of God. All who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the guy who used to raise raise havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come down here to take them all prisoners? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. <laughs> uh, now the hunter is being hunted. Verse 24. But Saul learned of their plan day and night. They kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by hand, lowered him in a basket through the opening in the wall. He gives this testimony in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 to the Corinthians. When he came to Jerusalem, this is funny, he tried to join the disciples but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Yeah, right, praise the Lord. Uh Uh-huh, talk to you later. (laughs) Verse 27, but Barnabas, whose name means, he was nicknamed that, son of encouragement, right? Took him Paul, and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he preached fearlessly, in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews. I hope you remember what synagogue that was. Stephens. But they tried to kill him. Oh, that's a great picture. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus to go home for a while. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, uh, Galilee, Galilee. (laughs) Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. So just a few moments for resurrection. Paul's ministry starts away. You know what, uh, it's true that newcomers shouldn't be placed in leadership roles or given authority like that. They need to be tested and proved and all of that. But I think they, new believers ought to serve right away. Get involved. I did. Immediately, I was doing stuff. Uh, it's really good. For, that's how they grow. That's how people grow. Um, he's all, turn me loose. I can't wait. And Paul's big passion was to get back in the synagogues. Because he goes, look, I'm the, I, I am so Jewish, I, it's not even funny. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 and you know, in Philippians 3, he says, hey, I was circumcised on the eighth. Day. Are you kidding me? I grew up. I was at the feet of Gamaliel. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews, man. I know the scriptures. Give me into the synagogues. Get me in there. I'll get the scroll. Nobody can, they'll all remember who I was. So combined with the testimony, the skill of the scriptures, the anointing and calling of God. Oh, let me at them. And the Lord had to tell him, look, you're really going to the Gentiles you're a Greek speaker. Peter and the, uh, the apostles, they're from the back woods. They're not educated. I chose you because they're as far as they can go. I want you to take this to the world. You're my chosen vessel. All that education, all that college. Tarsus was the number two university in the then known world. Paul was a genius and God primed him all his life to go to the Gentiles But he says, yes give me a chance with the Jews, the Jews, the Jews, and the Lord had to pull them all the time. Not the Jews, the Gentiles. But, but they'll know. They know who I was, and I am one of them, and they'll listen to me. No, they won't. They won't listen to you. You know what they'll want to do? They'll want to kill you. And, and that's what they tried to do. They wanted to kill him. He couldn't believe it, almost, you know? He's like, two words important here. He baffled them. It means when he got into those synagogues, they were Beside themselves. The word means to, I've told you this before, to be knocked out of yourself. So you can't believe what you're hearing kind of thing. To be beside yourself. He stands up and you're like, "Uh, I know him. He killed the guy next door. What? You love Jesus? No? You, You just can't believe it. The second thing is he proved. That's a strong word. So by the time you take all of Paul's upbringing, all of his knowledge, all of the scripture, all of the insight, a Gamaliel writes through Josephus that he was a prodigy, that his student, Paul, Saul, was, uh, couldn't keep him in books. He was like a genius. So when you turn a guy like that with that kind of testimony, that kind of intellect, that kind of calling, loose, There was no room left. So when Paul got done, it wasn't, the question was, you know, it wasn't, do you have any questions about is Jesus true or not? Now that you know Jesus is true, what are you going to do about it? Now, you would all think that they would say, okay, we're going to believe. No, but the the answer they chose was, we're going to kill you. (laughs) And so that's what they said. What I want you to see before we close is that he goes to the Greek-speaking synagogue. (laughs) He goes back to where he stood with the coats. And instead of saying, let's kill the Christians, he engages standing where Stephen stood with the same Grecian-speaking Jews. I said, now let me give this a whirl. From one who stood with you all, they all knew him. Now I'm on this side with Stephen preaching Stephen's Jesus. But doing it, I'm sorry, in even a more complete way than Stephen did. And God bless Stephen. Man, Stephen did a good job. <laughs> but Paul, they were speechless. Paul's like, here I am. Same guy. Believe in Jesus. What are you going to do about it? Come on, guys. Follow me. Why would I be making this up? Why would I even want to be a Christian? I hate Christians. I kill them. Why would I be one? Explain me. Now Let me just show you in the scriptures that it's not just I'm having a nervous breakdown, but it this makes sense. Let me show you how. And he proved it. And then he's expecting, so? And they say, get rocks. We're going to kill them. They want to kill him, so the disciples have to rescue him again and say, you know what, buddy, you need to go back to Tarsus for a bit. you know." And then I love it. It's not just a coincidence. It says, and he goes off to Tarsus, and the church had peace in the whole region. <laughs> oh, because the animal was gone. The animal was gone because the animal was transformed from Christian killer to a Christian maker. Wow, what a story. I just come away from that and say, first of all, if God can love Saul and the Holy Spirit, not hesitate to take up residence in that beast's life, I'm good to go. I never killed a Christian. I didn't like him very much. I said some very rude things to Christians. I never killed one. If Paul the apostle could lay aside the guilt of having spent years torturing God's people, If he can say, I'm going to leave that under the blood of Jesus, and I'm moving forward, then I can leave what I was behind and not keep saying, whining about it, bringing it up like it has some kind of relevance on my Christian life today as a born-again Christian. Please stop doing that. Paul the Apostle was a professional executor of Christians, and he says, you know, those days, done, done, okay, get me to a synagogue. Let's change that whole thing. He didn't go to therapists. He oh, didn't go to therapists. You want to know what I do? Do you want to know what I struggle with? Do you know? No. Okay. I love therapists. I have gone to therapists. I, I think it's a good thing. Christian ones. However, do you get what I'm trying to say? Jettison that stuff. If Paul can say that's not me, I'm a new. Anybody be in Christ? He's a new creation. The old is gone. Oh, maybe that's perhaps a secret to how he can be used so amazingly. The grace of God to let it go doesn't matter. Today you have new mercy. Behold, I make all things new. What about what? Stop. In love. Just stop. He knew. Can I live like it never happened? Paul did. Maybe that's what kind of motivated him. That was crazy bad. I'm going to be crazy good. No turning back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your love. I thank you for this time. We praise your name. We want to use the lessons that we have learned today. You've spoken a lot of things to a lot of hearts. May it resonate. May we do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.